past Thursday, received a uh, advertisement like this in uh, the Sunday paper. Some of you are smiling, and um, any of you received this kind of advertisement in the paper. So Thursday, I'm looking through this thing, and uh, right here on the very front, I see. What do I see? Your eyes, my eyes. Talk about this, this right here, this notebook computer. If you would see the computer that I run off of, our computer is seven years old. My computer that I use, the laptop, is seven years old. It's had a couple hard drives, increase the memory. But seven years computer time, I might as well be driving a Model T for all this that's, that's worth. I saw this computer and said, hey, kind of been thinking about a computer for quite some time now. And I saw this and it said it's a Toshiba Friday until noon, $379.99. Save $370 instantly. I'm thinking, you know what? That'd be great. $400 for a laptop, much, much more powerful than mine is. That would be great. And then I look down here at the bottom of the fine print, and minimum 10 per store. <laughs> I'm like, 10? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I'm thinking in my mind, if I show up, you know, maybe about... 4.50 in the morning, Friday morning. It's open at 5 in the morning. I figure I show up at 4.50 in the morning. Surely I'll be one of the, you know, first 10 people to uh, to get in. And, you know, I mean, maybe even if I'm first, first 50. I mean, everybody's not going to be going after this laptop, surely, right? That's what I thought. So, Thursday night I go to bed. I, I wake at 4.30 in the morning and uh, I get up and I'm driving to Best Buy. And I, I'm, I'm driving by at about 4.50 in the morning. And I was shocked. <laughs> the crowds was unbelievable. I mean, uh, from State Street, you know where Best Buy is, about 100, 100 yards off of State Street. And I'm driving by and I see this crowd of people. I can see from State Street that this crowd is like, huge, and that there's no way I'm going to be one of the first 10 people in to get a laptop. And so I, I thought about just driving straight home, and then I said, you know what, there's got to be a sermon illustration in here someplace. And so I, I drove, and Best Buy, if you know where that is, on State and Perryville, Best Buy was the only store open, but the parking lot was full. The best I could get, I could get a parking space right between borders and linens and things, like way out to the, I guess it's to the south side. And, and I parked and I said, this is going to be interesting to see what's going to exactly happen. And so I parked and I, and I walked. And, and by the way, it was frigid cold that morning. It was about 10 degrees is what I looked. Actually, 10 degrees. And I'm just freezing there. And I get there about five minutes before the doors open. There's a big crowd. I'm thinking, well, okay, maybe I can get in. And maybe I can just see what these crowds are going to do. And as so I get there, I realize that there's this line that wraps from the front doors around the building and all the way to the back. I didn't know how far it went. But uh, the store is open, and to the credit of the Best Buy people, they said, the line has to go first, and then you mob of people can come in. So I'm like, okay, well, let's just let this line go down. And this line kept coming and coming and coming. Unless you think this line is like a single file line, think like eight to ten people deep. This line is coming in and walking through the door. And I'm like, okay, well, this line's going to stop sometime and maybe I'll get in. And just, I want to witness the crowds because, you know, I hear about this Thanksgiving shopping. I've never shopped before on Friday after Thanksgiving. And um, the crowd line kept coming, 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 coming. In. And finally, the, the Best Buy people said, okay, let's stop right there. They filled the store. 
And, and I'm looking, and this line still extends around the building and still extends back. I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'll get in line. Maybe they'll open it up. And so I walk around the store to this side, and the line is still all the way to the back of the store and wrapped around. <laughs> At this point, I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to get a laptop. I can go home. And uh, so I turned. It was probably about 5.15 by the time I turned and went home. And uh, I didn't get a laptop. But let me ask you, why were those people willing to forsake sleep? Why were those people willing to stand there in the freezing cold? And it was frigid that morning. Why were people willing that morning to, to stand in line for a long time? You know why? Because they knew something. Because they knew what was in the store. All thousands of those people knew that there were ten laptops for sale. And um, it made a big difference. They would make glad sacrifices because they knew. And it's not just that computer. There were lots of things on sale. There was a, even a, a digital camera here on sale. Which, Adriana, you were there. And you got a camera, didn't you? <laughs> yes, you did. What compels such people to stand in line? <clears throat> you know what? They knew the store. They knew what was in the store. My message is entitled this morning, Do You Know the Church? Because I believe if people only knew the church, and if people would only know what took place here in these buildings and the unfathomable riches in Christ that we have, we would have a similar line every Sunday at Rock Valley Bible Church. People just longing to get in, to experience the riches of the fullness of Christ. My message last week was entitled, Do You Love the Church? In that message, I sought to address your affections. Does the church have any sort of affection in your heart at all? Do you long for the church? Do you make sacrifices for the church? And even as I gave testimony at our, our, our time this morning, I know that many of you could say, absolutely, I love the church of Jesus Christ. Because I see it in your hearts. I see it in your expressions of your face. I see it in your commitment to the church. You have, with great enthusiasm, with great joy, with great passion, demonstrated a love for the church. But for some of you, that might not be the case. Some of you, maybe I don't know so well. And you might say, Steve, to be honest with you, as you were preaching last week, I don't have a love for the church. Well, Joshua Harris speaks to that question very well. In this book, Stop Dating the Church. You know, we pass this out to uh, many families of the church. In fact, every family of the church received a copy of this. How many of you um, read this this week? Started reading it? How many of you finished reading it this week? I would encourage you to do so. In fact, it is important enough for us to church that uh, we have provided gifts to every family in the church. If you want a, a, a book, come after service and, and take it. And we also have a CD which helps introduce the book. And it's just right here. And the goal of this is this. The goal of my, my message here, my, my series, before we start going through the Bible in 2006 is this. I want us to unite on really what the church is and have like passions and like desires to see Rock Valley Bible Church be everything that God wants it to be. And so each week I want to quote from this book just because it's a wonderful book. I've been helped. I've been challenged by it. But Joshua Harris says on page 31, Why is it so difficult for many of us to love the church? I mean, 
What comes to mind when you think of the church? Let's face it. Most of us probably don't picture a beautiful bride. Our view of the church is distorted by negative experiences or our own wrong perceptions. We picture a particular building, a bickering denomination, a fraudulent televangelist, or some embarrassing scandal that hits the news. The church isn't something we're particularly proud of or drawn to in our hearts. But maybe, maybe all that would change if we looked at the church from heaven's perspective. That is my goal this morning. I want to look at the church from heaven's perspective. I want us to see the church as God sees it. And thus ask you the question, do you know the church? And for that, I want us to open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at just four verses this morning. I'm going to derive a point from each verse. Verses 8 through 11 describe the church of Jesus Christ. Paul begins there. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8. To me, he says, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church, there it is, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul first describes himself in his own ministry in verse 8. He describes his ministry as God-given and grace-driven. God-given and grace-driven. He says, to me, the very least of all saints. These words ought to draw our attention and our minds back to Acts chapter 9 when, when Paul was on the road to Damascus to go persecute Christians. And, and there was a light that flashed from heaven all around and blinded Paul. He had a divine encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't know. He didn't know who the Lord was. Finally, the Lord revealed to him that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes, that they might turn from the darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. This is Paul. Paul was the least of the saints because he persecuted the church of God. And before Paul came to know the grace of God that was given through faith in Christ, he was a blasphemer against Jesus Christ. He was a violent aggressor against those who followed Christ. And yet God showed mercy to him that he might demonstrate in Paul the great truth that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul said that he was the foremost. See, when God saves somebody, he doesn't save deserving people. He just saves wicked, undeserving people who deserve the wrath of God and suffering in hell forever. But that was the message that Paul brought. He brought a message of grace. And particularly here, he brought it to the Gentiles. There are many times in the Scripture where it says that Paul 
was given a mission from God to the Gentiles. Romans 1.5 We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. Romans 11.13 Paul called himself an apostle of the Gentiles. Romans 15.16 Grace was given to me from God, is what Paul says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Galatians 1.16 God was pleased to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. In Galatians 2, Paul says that, that I was a minister to the Gentiles just as Peter was a minister to the Jews. 1 Timothy 2.7 I was appointed a preacher and apostle as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul was a minister appointed by God to go to the Gentiles. And you know what? It is so easy for us just to skip by that little phrase here about this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. And to understand that statement, you need to really understand the Jewish nation. God's purpose for the Jews. God formed the Jewish nation when He promised abundant blessing on the descendants of Abraham. In Genesis 12, we see God just picking Abraham from the world and just saying, you, Abraham, you're the one that I'm going to bless. And I'm going to bless you abundantly. I'm going to make of you a a great nation. I'm going to have many people. I'm going to bless this nation abundantly. In fact, God's blessing, Abraham, is going to so pour out among your nation that all the families of the earth are going to be blessed because of you and because of my blessing upon you. And the entire Old Testament is really a working out of that promise that God gave to Abraham. The entire blessing didn't come away, didn't come right away, just especially as Abraham and his descendants proved to be rebellious and disobedient. But you read through the Old Testament, you get this, this feeling in this field that God's faithful to His promise and faithful to Israel. And though they're disobedient, God's still going to be faithful to His promise of Abraham. And on several occasions, God promised to say, you know what, you guys are rebellious, but I'm going to give you new hearts. And I'm going to give you new spirits. And I'm going to give you a joy and a delight that you're going to delight in the law of God. It's going to be written upon your hearts. And you're going to delight to do my will. Right? Like Ezekiel 37. If you've been reading along in our Bible reading, you would have read this this week. My dwelling place also will be with them. And I will be their God. And they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel. And my sanctuary is in their midst forever. And as you read further in the Old Testament, you read that God's going to do this through a deliverer. One that's called the Anointed One. Like in Psalm chapter 2, verse 2. It's the idea that the Lord would send one great Redeemer who would finally free the people of Israel, give them a land, and grant them incredible blessing. This one's called the, the Messiah. Or the Christ. And in every generation of the Jewish people, they look forward to the day when Messiah would come and bring in all the fullness of the Messianic blessings that, that God had promised to Abraham, their father. And this was their hope. Their hope was that the Messiah would come to them. And their hope was that God would use this Messiah to so exalt the people of Israel, the nations would look upon Israel and be in awe and wonder of their great God that would bless Israel. And that was Israel's plan. That was God's plan. Right? The Messiah would be there and in you all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And finally Messiah arrived. Jesus of Nazareth. He came anointed by the Spirit of God. He came to the Jews to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. He came to set free those who were downtrodden. And the Jews rejected their Messiah. 
But, but their hardness meant Christ would go to the world. And in that we can rejoice. In other words, the riches of Messiah have come to the Gentiles because the Jewish people have rejected their Messiah. That's my point. The church is God's grace. The church is God's grace. See, God never promised to extend the blessings of the Messiah straight to the Gentiles. Oh, there are places in the Old Testament where you see that God's going to bless the nations, but the sense you get is it's going to be a spillover of what's going to take place to Israel. Right? Like, for instance, suppose that I I take this cup here and I fill it up just just right to the rim. This is what God promised... I'll get away from these books, okay? This is what God promised in the Old Testament. Okay, this is us Jews. You want the blessings of God? Spill it. And trying to... That's the Old Testament picture of the Messiah. We get the spillage. We get the overflow. And in that comes, it comes greatly. But you know what happened in God's plan now? (laughs) Mm. Mm. We get to drink of the fullness of the riches of Christ. That is God's grace. And that is the church. What God did in Christ was far more abundant. This is sheer grace. Now, to be sure, it was God's grace that extended salvation to the Jews. I mean, it was God's grace that chose Abraham in the first place. It was, it was God's grace to promise these blessings to Abraham. It was God's grace to bless Abraham to make his offspring into a great nation. It was God's grace to deliver this nation from the hand of Pharaoh. It was God's grace to bring them into the land. It was God's grace to bless sinful Israel. But listen, after his promise to bless Abraham, his blessing was expected, right? His loving kindness is everlasting. God who promised is faithful. Hebrews 10.23 He wasn't going to renege on His promises. After God gave His promise, the people of God could plead. God, You've promised to us. You've promised blessing to us. Can You please give us that blessing? You know what? That's not the church though. It's in the church God's demonstrated grace to a people He never promised anything to. In fact, the mere existence of a church is a testimony all the time of God's grace. Maybe this illustration might help. From time to time, our children ask of us. They said, Mom, Dad, can we order pizza tonight? Your kids ever ask that? Can you order pizza tonight? Now, the mere fact that um, they ever get pizza delivered to our house is sheer grace, is it not? I mean, our, our kids don't deserve to have pizza ordered They don't earn the right. Moms, yes, they earn the right. But our children, no, they don't earn the right. But if ever you say this, you know what, I I think we can have pizza ordered tonight. What happens to the kids' mindset? It's like, boom, we got a promise. We got a promise. And and what happens if some unforeseen circumstance takes place? You know, maybe someone falls sick or, you know, maybe someone visited or maybe you have to go out unexpectedly. What happens if that takes place and all of a sudden you say to your kids, you know, we, we can't order pizza tonight. What do they say? They rise in protest. Dad, you promised. You promised. 
and, and you should keep your promises. The Bible says so some places. You've got to keep your promises. See, it, it's, it's still grace when you say, okay, well, I guess we kept our promises. But it's a different kind of grace altogether. When, when the kids maybe ask for pizza and you're quiet and maybe you think about dinner, you say, okay, well, we're thinking about having Brussels sprouts and lima bean soup for dinner. And the kids look at that and they say, Ugh. and then, ding dong, and the kids scurry to open the door and it's Papa John's. I said, oh, we get pizza tonight, and then, woohoo, they're jumping all up and down, and the perspective the kids have, they are blown away with the kindness of God. They were expecting Brussels sprouts and lima bean soup, and they get ordered pizza. They're like elated. That's the church. That's the church. God didn't give any promises to the church. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. You can see it there. Verse 12. We were excluded, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants, having no hope and without God in the world. We had no connection there. Anything that we got was spillage as we looked on the outer court and kind of looked in. But now, in Christ Jesus, verse 13, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, that is the blessing of Christ has come to the Gentiles. It's one thing to have a promise of God, have God fulfill that in grace. It's another thing not to have a promise at all. And yet God still to overflow and lavish the abundant riches of Christ upon us. That's what it says here in verse 8, right? It's the unfathomable riches of Christ. As much as I try week in, week out to describe to you just the unfathomable riches that we have in Christ, by definition, I can't fully explain that to you because I can't fully understand it and you can't fully understand it because the riches we have in Christ are unfathomable, worth far more than a, a computer or a digital camera. Far more. That's the church. Do you know the church? The church is God's grace. Verse 9, the church is God's surprise. It is God's surprise. Here it is. The unfathomable riches of Christ. This is Paul's mission. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Three times in this chapter, Paul mentions the word mystery. Look at verse 3. He speaks about how the mystery was made known to Paul in a revelation. Right? Something that wasn't known, but now the mystery has been made known. Verse 4. Paul speaks about having insight into this mystery in Christ. Right? So this thing is a, a mystery. I'm calling it a surprise because that's really what it is. It's a, it's a surprise. And Paul found out about it, knew it, and then had some insight into it. He explained how in other generations it wasn't made known to the sons of men. Verse 5. Right? It wasn't promised. It wasn't clearly explained in the Scriptures. And what is that, Paul? Here it is in verse 6. He said, here's the mystery. Here's the surprise. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. Right? There is the mystery hidden. Time ago, is it, is it the Gentiles were out, had no hope, not without God. But here now, the mystery comes that they we're fellow partakers. We're fellow citizens. We're joint heirs with Christ. That is the mystery. That is the surprise of Paul, of God. It wasn't a surprise of God. 
God had it in His mind all the time. He knew the church was going to come into existence. He knew that Messiah would come into the world and be rejected. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 8 of the book of Acts, Acts 4, verse 28, His death was predestined to take place. I mean, it was as sure, as sure, as sure can be that Christ Jesus would come and be rejected by His people. He came into His own and His own did not receive Him. He would be rejected. He would be lifted high upon a cross according to Psalm 22. He would bear our sin upon Himself as Isaiah 53 says. And God knew then that He would form a church through Christ in a place where men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation would come to worship Him. In fact, He knew this, verse 11 says, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which God carried out in Christ Jesus. So God knew it was going to happen, but catch this. God never told anybody about the church. That's what verse 5 says. It wasn't made known to the sons of men. God didn't make it known. It was a, a little secret that He had. As a result, the church was a surprise. Or to use Paul's word, the church was a mystery. For ages, God kept this, this secret hidden from the entire world. But now He's revealed it to us. And you know what? This makes God excited and enthused about the church. In my house, we have three girls. I have an 11-year-old. And I have a, a six-year-old. And I have a two-year-old. My two oldest fully understand Christmas. They know what Christmas is about. And they understand it's a time of giving gifts in our home. Well, recently they determined that they would combine some of their money and purchase a doll for the youngest sister, Stephanie. Now, you need to know about Stephanie. Stephanie just loves babies. Yesterday, our family put up the Christmas tree in our home. And right on the top, you know what you normally put on top of a Christmas tree? An angel. And you know what Steffi's calling it? Baby! 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 And, uh, you know, there's some angels we put on the tree also. And, oh, baby! 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 And grabbing this. She loves babies. And so, look what, um, look what our children, our two daughters, bought for their sister. They bought <laughs> baby Annabelle. On the front, she's got this Pictures of the, the little little girl, just happy as can be. On the back, listen to what it says. It says, baby animal is just baby Annabelle. <laughs> it's just like a real baby. She babbles, giggles, and gurgles with joy. Give baby Annabelle a pacifier and she joyfully sucks on it. She even drinks real water out of a bottle. She moves her mouth. See her mouth move as she drinks. When baby Annabelle has had enough, she burps and gets drowsy. And then she yawns and falls asleep. Loud noises will awaken baby Annabelle. Sometimes she cries and tears roll down her face just like a real baby. Sing her a song and she will soon be calm and smiling with satisfaction. This is a surprise. And this is what the girls have to give to their little sister. But you know what? It's going to stay hidden. It's going to stay hidden in my office, up high on a shelf, underneath a towel, lest Stephanie come in and see it. What do you think their reaction is going to be when they finally are allowed to give this present to Stephanie? What do you think? They are going to be enthused. They are going to be excited. 
That is the church of Jesus Christ. For years, for centuries, for generations, God had this gift that He was going to give to the Gentiles, but He kept it hidden. And He was just thinking about, you know, there's going to be a day when I'm going to extend this gift of grace to all the Gentiles. And here it is, but you know, it's not now. But when it was revealed in Christ, it was opened up. And how do you think God feels about the church? He is very enthused about the church. He is very excited about the church and longs for nothing more than for us to be enthused as well. Last week, my, my logic went like this. Jesus Christ loves the church. He died for the church. We ought to be just like Jesus and love the church and die for the church, sacrifice greatly. My argument this week is, you know what? God is enthused about the church. He is excited about the church. We ought likewise to be enthused and excited about the church. And if you only knew the church of Jesus Christ, you would be enthused and excited as well. At this point, you might ask yourself a question. Why did God keep it a secret for so long? Many people, especially Gentiles, perished in their sins, not knowing of Messiah. Why did He keep it a secret for so long? Well, the question leads nicely to our next point. The church is God's wisdom. So it says here in verse 10, right? It's in order that is how it starts. It's a purpose. It's why God has kept it hidden. He's kept it hidden with the purpose that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. See, the church displays the wisdom of God. And somehow, in some way, in delaying to extend His grace to the world, the effect has been to magnify the incredible grace of God to extend to a people who had no promises abundant blessings. Notice even what it describes here about who are the ones beholding this incredible wisdom. It says, that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay, I want you to think about my message this morning. I, it's been filled with object lessons, right? What I start with? Kids, remember my very first object lesson? My Best Buy newspaper. What was my second object lesson? Little cup, talking about the spillage. What was my third? And baby Annabelle. I do this from time to time. Lots of people say they appreciate the object lessons. Do you know that God uses an object lesson as well? I've intentionally given lots today, okay? Because I want to make this point. God uses an object lesson. And when He is preaching before the angels, you know what He holds up? He holds up the church. He says, angels, look at this object lesson that I have for you. I'm going to teach you about my wisdom through this thing that I call the church. And as much as I would bring up this baby Annabelle, as much as I would slosh water around, God does that very thing in the church so as to teach the angels something. You all are an object lesson. As you work out your salvation every day, as you interact with the people of the church every day, you are teaching the angels something. Right? Because these angels watch and see what takes place on the earth. And they just... they. They marvel at the manifold wisdom of God. The Scripture says that through the wisdom of the world, the wise didn't come to know God. 
But the wisdom of the world crucified the Lord of glory. But this message, which is God's wisdom of a crucified Christ, is believed by the lowly and the weak of this world. And it's through believing this gospel that they are empowered to live lives of purity and righteousness and love. No longer held slaves to sin anymore. No longer seeking their selfish ways. But rather, gathering together in a church. That's what verse 10 talks about. In order the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church. It's, it's in these saved people gathering through the church and functioning together to build up the church in love that the angels are looking and, and watching and thinking of the, the wisdom of God. Unless you think that these angels merely watch with disinterest, Think again. Peter says that angels long to look into these things. They are on the edge of their seats just looking and peering into us. Even this morning, they angels are watching and beholding and seeing what's taking place in this church. Seeing what it displays about the manifold wisdom of the wonder-working God. I want to read one more time from this book by Joshua Harris. Harris. He says it really well. He talks in this point. He says, The Bible teaches in Ephesians 3, 9-11 that the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places look down at God's work through the church with amazement and wonder. They're in awe. They're glued to the action unfolding through the church. Why? Because the manifold wisdom of God is being displayed and the spiritual mystery hidden for ages past is being revealed through the church. What is this wisdom? It's the powerful effects of the gospel being worked out in real lives and real relationships. Ephesians tells us that through the gospel, sinners are not only reconciled to God, they're also being reconciled to each other. Ephesians 2.19 Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. The heavenly beings look down at the church and they see an amazing family. The power of the gospel is not only changing individuals, but is also creating a whole new kind of humanity. In the midst of a strife-torn world, a world divided by gender, by race, by class, and by political ideology, the church is a city set on a hill where people who once hated God and each other become God's children and members of one family. That's what the angels look down upon us. Look down upon us and say, how is it that these people being so diverse and at one time being hostile and haters of God through faith in this message of a crucified Messiah, forgiveness of sins, now can live in harmony with one another? Angels just look at that and are astonished at the wisdom of God. Do you know the church? Listen, the church is far bigger than it first appears. It it might appear to you just to be an earthly reality. I mean, you might say, oh, the church of Jesus Christ. Well, that's, that's the place that, that kind of meets. And well, oh, sure, you might have some kind of spiritual dimension because, you know, it deals with people justified by faith in God. But has it ever occurred to you that our assembly together and our working out with one another, our love and our salvation, actually teaches the angels about God? That's the church. It's a lot bigger than you think. It is a giant object lesson. And then as the church functions as a body throughout the week, the angels are no less interested 
As they see the effect that believing a message about a crucified Savior have upon individuals, they are looking to see how is it that God shows His grace to these people and these people are changed and then they, they love one another and serve one another and gather and worship. How is that? And they get a taste of the manifold wisdom of God. Well, the church is God's grace. The church is God's surprise. The church is God's wisdom. And here it is, finally. The church is God's plan. comes from verse 11. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the church isn't some kind of man-made institution like the Rotary Club or Kiwanis Club or Lions Club or any other social service-oriented organization. Church isn't like that. The, the church isn't the opium of the people to help endure the difficulties of life. The church isn't some successful social experiment which some people discovered. Right? Oh, if people attend this, this church and think about God, then it will help society. The church isn't like that. The church wasn't even thought up by Christians. It wasn't thought up by well-meaning Christians to say, Hey, you believe in Jesus? And I believe in Jesus? And, and you worship Christ? And, and I worship Christ? What if we got together? And what if we worship Jesus together each week? I mean, it would be encouraging to you. It would be encouraging to me. Wouldn't that be great? And then think about it. If we're together, couldn't we use this gathering to do, do great things in the world? Couldn't we do that? I mean, gathering like this, there's strength in numbers. We could accomplish great things. Well, let's, let's form this church. This would be great. It makes all logical sense. The church wasn't formed by man in his imagination. The church was formed by God. It originated in the mind of God. <clears throat> God kept it secret for years. But when the time was right, He sent His Son to be the cornerstone of the church. Ephesians 2.20 He appointed apostles to become foundation of the church. Ephesians 2.20 He gave leaders for the building of the church. Ephesians 4.11 And today we all have a responsibility to play our part in this institution called the church. Ephesians 4.16 Which we'll look at next week in greater detail. I don't believe it's any accident at all that Jesus revealed His plan in the church long before any of His disciples had any thought of anything that was going to take place on this earth. Long before Jesus actually went to the cross to die for our sins, He said, I will build My church and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. I believe that it was intentional for Jesus to say this early on. Long before any of the disciples thought about it, that the disciples afterwards might know, oh, this church was the plan of God. It was in the mind of Jesus a year before He was crucified on the cross. See, God's plan for the foundation of the world was to give a bride to His Son before the world was created. We who believe in Christ were chosen, as Ephesians says, in Christ before the foundation of the world. That means we were chosen in the Messiah before the foundation of the world. We were chosen to believe in the crucified Messiah before the foundation of the world. This was all in accordance with God's plan. And the church that God is building is indestructible. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can destroy it. As Jesus said, the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. Oh, to be sure, there will be those who attempt to resist it and stop its progress. But be equally sure that there is nothing or nobody or no forces Angels, principalities, demons, powers, powerful men, nations, nothing will overpower the church. Nothing can stand in its way. The odds makers in Las Vegas decide the odds of victory. 
They make, they make their own educated guess based upon all the facts that they can gather together as the outcome of the games. But they know nothing of a certain win. But the church is different. The church will win. It's God's plan from eternity. It will not be thwarted. Do you know the church? Do you know the church from heaven's perspective? It's God's grace. The church is God's surprise. The church is God's wisdom. The church is God's plan. Now, how about Rock Valley Bible Church? Do you know Rock Valley Bible Church? Do you know Rock Valley Bible Church? What about our history? Do you know that we began in a home in 1998 with a, a simple Bible study meeting in the basement of a house? You know, at that time, I, I was working in DeKalb, a local hospital. Do you know that in 2000, we began renting a, a church building and meeting Sunday night services? I was still working in DeKalb. Do you know in 2001, I quit my job in DeKalb, moved to Rockford to establish a church here? Initially, do you know that Kishwaukee Bible Church paid a good portion of my salary until enough people could come to support financially the church? Do you know that by 2003, we were finally self-supporting financially? Do you know that in 2003, Lance Milton became our first deacon? And this past summer, we got our first elder, second elder, Gordy Bell. And with plurality of elders, do you know that we just finally gained our independence as a church? Do you know that right now, even we're working to raise up leaders, I'm meeting right now on a bi-weekly basis with two men seeking to train them to be deacons to join Lance? You'll hear more about that in weeks and months to come. Do you, do you realize that we are a young church, only recently gaining our independence? We're a growing church. We're a young church. We have much to mature. We're not there yet. We still have a long ways to go. That's our history. Do you know of our priorities at Rock Valley Bible Church? First and foremost, we as a church are a church of worship. We want to exalt Jesus Christ, the Lamb upon the throne. It's not just Sunday mornings this takes place. It's throughout the weeks we live lives of worship to Him. In fact, I would say everything you do ought to be an act of worship to God. Everything you do. It's an act of worship to God. And our focus... Our priority is the Word of God. God has revealed His will to us in His Word. So whenever we gather, we make the Bible central. And we gather in different settings. We gather in a large group. We gather in smaller groups. We gather in families. We gather in individuals. And the majority of our time on Sunday morning is spent in proclaiming the truth found in the Word of God. Why? Because we want to know God. We want to believe what God has revealed about Himself to us. We want to be doers of the Word, right? Who hear what God says and says, let me do it. I want to do it. I'm going to pursue after that. The church, not only gathers on Sunday morning, we also gather in smaller groups called flocks. <clears throat> A central focus of these times, the study of Scripture to train us to know and to obey God. And we encourage everyone to be involved in a flock. It's an opportunity for us, the, the Bible, to come to train further. And we strongly encourage, even on top of that, just even in our families at Rock Valley Bible Church, we strongly encourage you to make the Bible central in your home. Be reading the Bible in your families. Gather the family around. Be reading the Bible to your children. And we encourage you individually to make the Bible a priority and just regularly read through the Bible. Just regularly read it and memorize it. Think upon it because the Bible is our priority. Yet in all this activity, we don't want to become a holy huddle. right? We want to make an impact for Christ. And the only way to do this is to go out and be talking with other people. And we encourage you to take your eyes off yourself and focus upon other people. Not only other people in the church, but also other people in the world who don't know Christ, who desperately need to hear the gospel. And within your sphere of influence, 
Model the Christian life and tell others of the hope you found in Him and pray for opportunities. Right? The church, we make the, the Bible focus that it might be on our hearts and our minds and we would train people in that so that we can go out and talk to the world. Do you know of our priorities? Do you know of our doctrine? Do you know of our doctrine? We are Trinitarian because we believe in a triune God. We believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Son. We believe in God the Holy Spirit. We believe that God is sovereign over all things. Sovereign over the universe. Sovereign over the wind and the rain and the tsunamis and the hurricanes and the land and the sea and the earthquakes. He's sovereign even over our wills. He's sovereign over salvation. Our salvation doesn't depend upon the man who wills or runs, but it depends upon God who has mercy. We believe that. We believe in the cries of the Reformation. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone is our guide. The church has authority only as it stands on the Bible. Not authority beside the Bible. We believe in Sola Scriptura. We believe in Solus Christus, Sola Gratia, and Sola Fide, which are Latin phrases for only Christ and only grace and only faith. We believe that salvation is by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Plus nothing, as Philip likes to say, is salvation in grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing. That's the cries of the Reformation. We believe in the cries of the Reformation about soli deo gloria. All our lives, all that we do as a church ought to be to the glory of God. We believe in the centrality of the local church. God works in and through the local church. That's what verse 10 is about. It's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is made known. Elders and deacons are the two offices that God has appointed in the church to lead the church. He's given us two ordinances in the church to practice. Baptism for those who believe in Christ in obedience to God's command should be immersed in the water. We believe that. The Lord's Supper is a constant reminder of us to keep our eyes remembering the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's our doctrine. Do you know of our methods? Let me speak to you real clear. On Sunday morning as I preach, I aim our worship services and I aim my preaching at the most mature among you. Without question, that's what I do. Many churches are just the opposite. They are seeking to proclaim their messages to the, to the weak and immature. As a result, you know what happens to the mature people in the church? They leave. And they come to Rock Valley Bible Church. Serious. They come here because they know that they're going to be fed here. And they know they're going to be encouraged here. And they know they're going to be challenged here. And listen, as a pastor, as a leadership team, our strategy is to keep the mature people. Because it's the mature people who are going to reach out, look out of themselves, and go and reach towards other people to serve them and help them in time of need. That's why I aim my messages to the mature. Because those are the ones I want to keep. And as the immature come in, and those who need, that can filter down in my ministry and the leadership goes further, far beyond even what I could ever do. That's not that we neglect the more mature, the less mature. I mean, I'm preaching this morning to children, right? We have six-year-olds in here, right? Do we have a five-year-old in here at all? Any five-year-olds? Yeah, we got five-year-olds. Any four-year-olds in here? I got four-year-old. Any three-year-olds? We got a three-year-old back there. Any two-year-olds? We got a two-year-old here. Any one-year-old? We got a one-year-old. Any newborns? I normally put newborns to sleep, so <laughs> I'm preaching though to them. But you know what? I know what they're going to get is this, and I know the mature is going to get this, 
And I know everywhere else you are in between, you're going to get something. But that's our goal and that is our priority and that is our method. And I do that because we as a church are not a program-driven, administratively heavy church that seeks to get lots of people involved with lots of different activities and lots of different programs so they can just come be busy at church. Our church is driven by relationships. And rather than creating busy work to be involved in, we want to let you loose to humbly serve and love others. We want for you to love others in the church just naturally through relationships with them. We want you to greet those who come into our midst. We want you to reach out to them. We want you to go out in your neighborhoods and minister to other people. Well, certainly there's much more to say about Rock Valley Bible Church. But all that should help give you a flavor of what we're trying to accomplish here at church. In closing, I want to ask you one more question. Do you know the people of Rock Valley Bible Church? Do you know the people of Rock Valley Bible Church? Take all I've said about the history of our church, our priorities, our doctrine, our methods, and funnel it right down to this. Everything we do is geared towards this. Do you know the people of Rock Valley Bible Church? Because... Being relationship-driven as we are at a church, our church will stand and fall based upon the strength of our relationships. It will. It will stand and fall based upon the strength of our relationships. And we want to provide you with opportunities to get to know people at the church where you can meet them and know them and serve them in time of need. You can always encourage them. right? We need to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our assembling as they have it of some, but always encouraging one another so the day draws near. There are opportunities that we give to gather and assemble together. And I can think of three such opportunities that we have designed and specifically thought through to allow you opportunities to be with the people of the church. The first is right after the Sunday morning worship service. I mean, right now, our service is focused upon the Lord. But after this, we will have a time of fellowship, which is, on our behalf, an intentional effort to give you opportunities to strengthen relationships with people of the church. The reason we realize it doesn't just happen, okay? We set up some food over there to help you linger a little bit longer. And we encourage you to stay around and talk with other people. And I'm encouraged that at Rock Valley Bible Church, this time lasts for well over an hour. Some of you might be home and finished eating before people leave the church because the people are strengthening their relationships with one another. And that is key to our church. Right after Sunday morning, we finish our service at 11.30, we shoot for. Not today, we'll shoot a little past that. But we shoot for 11.30 and we try to say, you know what, let's stay around. The church afterwards. This is an important mingling time because that's where the relationships are established. That's where you get to know people. That's where you find out service needs. That's where you find out how to love and encourage others. It's a time directly after service. It's key in knowing the people of Rock Valley Bible Church. It's also intentional. And so know that if it's your habit to just whoop, go out the door, you're missing everything our church is trying to do and trying to get to know you, and trying you to get to know other people, that you might mix and mingle in with the church, that you might rub with the church, that you might help the church, because that's the programs of the church. It's people on people doing life together. You just leave, you're losing opportunities to know the people of Rock Valley Bible Church. And on top of our Sunday morning service, we also gather for a time of corporate prayer at 8.45. Right here in the prayer room, we gather... If you want to know the people of Rock Valley Bible Church, that's an excellent opportunity. It gives you a time to open up. We can share our sorrows together. We can share our hurts together. 
It gives us time to share our joys together and the things we rejoice in in God. It gives us an opportunity to pray for one another. It gives us an opportunity to know one another. And I would say that when relationships are spiritual relationships, they're much deeper than anything just on the surface. The bond of love grows deeper as you hear people in the real hurts and the real pains and the real concerns. You know how to minister to people. You know that a, a sister is undergoing chemotherapy for breast cancer. You know the mother has got breast cancer. You know of a child who's been in the hospital. You know of a, a father who recently came to faith. You know of evangelistic opportunities. You hear of these things and you put them with people and their events and you pray for them throughout the week and you, you get to know and you get to see and you get to see the heart. You know when it hurts and you know when they're feeling well. And I say that is an intentional time that we have tried to foster and right now, we've got about 50 people coming to that. You know how many I want to come to that? I want 150 there. Because our church is relationally driven. Do you know the people of Rock Valley Bible Church? And I want to move out of that band room because we have to move here at a service. And we start our service at 845 and just sharing with one another and praying with one another because that's the foundation of our church. Because you need to know Rock Valley Bible Church. I'd encourage you to come. Also, we provide, I think of the three times we provide a corporate assembly, official times, we provide home Bible studies for you to attend. They meet in various homes at various locations, usually every other week or so. I was talking to Gordy Bell this week and he said, this is kind of like our Sunday night service, but every other week. Happen on different nights. Some are Friday nights, some are on Sunday nights. We have four of them coming. And if you want to know the people of Rock Valley Bible Church, then come to one of the flocks, right? Get involved and get there. Information about times and locations are in the bulletin. And you know what's interesting is uh, many of them are off all of December, kind of waiting the holiday season. They'll start again in January. So if you say real convicted, say, you know what, we need to start going to a flock. Well, you're going to have a month to really think about that and pray about that. And you can start in, in January coming to one of those things. But at those times that our groups are even smaller, right? Four, five, six, seven families are getting together around a living room, around couches. And the purpose of this is several. First of all, it's for training in the Scriptures. It's central to what we're doing. You want to get trained? You want to come? Come to our flocks. And we'll, again, we'll open the Bible to you. But it provides, it provides more than that. It provides an opportunity, a further opportunity for people in the church to be together. And to get to know one another. And you get to know how to serve one another. And I tell you, as a pastor... As the church has gotten bigger, these groups have helped me immensely to provide me with more one-on-one time of the people of the church than I had. The church is getting bigger. I just kind of seeing people on Sunday mornings, and um, you know, it's how I had to meet with each people individually. But now I can come to flocks and I can see people and can can really shepherd the people of the church much better. For me, it's helped, and for you, it will help as well. You want to know the people of Rock Valley Bible Church? Come to a flock. There's a way in which when you're lounging. On a couch, talking to each other. You get to know each other better than when you're, you're standing in a cafeteria of a school with your church clothes on. There's just more of an intimacy there. There's more of a reality. And as the church gets bigger and bigger, we're just going to multiply those flocks and we're going to use those flocks as the primary avenue by which to care and share for people. There are people in the flocks. You know, I just think about one flock. There's one who's going to have a baby soon. You know who's going to minister that people, that person? Who's in desperate need of help? It's going to be the people in the flock. Because she's been faithful and involved in the people of the flock where maybe not a lot of people in the church know her. 
really going to help. And so I involve you to come to a flock, invest your time in the lives of others. And we have strategically thought about just the number of meetings that we have. We are not a church overabunding all these different activities of everything we're doing. You know, we meet Sunday morning, all of us together. We meet Sunday morning for prayer. Someday in the future, all of us together. We meet then split up flocks in the homes. Right? Every other week. It's not a big commitment, but it's an opportunity. All of this is to stir within you so that you know the people of Rock Valley Bible Church. So you can strengthen the relationships there. So you can live among one another in love and thus strengthen the church. Do you know the church? Do you know Rock Valley Bible Church? And I'm grateful that many of you do. Some of you may not. And these messages may come challenging to you. And you know what? I don't want to pressure you into guilt. I want to show you the church as the bride of Christ. As so attractive. That you say, I love the bride. I want to do. I want you to show the church from heaven's perspective of everything it is. From heaven's perspective, it is a glorious thing. It is God's grace. It's God's surprise. It's God's wisdom. It's God's plan. And are you going to be involved in the church as God would call you to be involved? Let's pray together. Oh Lord, I think about eternity past and in your mind. And certainly we don't know everything that went on in your mind. But this we do. Is that you planned and determined that you would create a group of people made from every tribe and tongue and nation and people and language that would follow your son around and not cease to give great praise and adoration and glory to you. And you determined to do that through your church. It says in your church that the manifold wisdom of God is made known. And Lord, I would pray for the people here who have heard my voice that you would develop and stir within them a love for the church of Jesus Christ. That's my goal. That's my aim with these messages. Not that people would be more committed to the church. Not that people would serve the church with greater fervor. But this, that people would come to love the church. And in loving the church, God, I know of everything that will flow. When a husband loves his wife, it is sacrificial love that goes extravagantly to pursue her and cherish her and enjoy her. And, and the church is an enjoyable thing, O oh Lord. And I thank You for giving it to us. I thank You for surprising us in the church of allowing the blessings not just to spill to us, but allow us to drink the fullness of the Messiah. And in those things, Lord, I pray that You would so stir our hearts that we as a church here would function together appropriately. That we would so function that, that as... The angels look down upon the object lessons that they might say, oh, look, look at Rock Valley Bible Church. That's a church that really shows the manifold wisdom of God. People who really have been transformed and really love and really serve and the whole body working together. So I pray, Lord, in these series of messages that you would draw us again to see the attractiveness and the joy that is in the body of Christ. For it's there that you have chosen to build your community of saints that forevermore will worship and glorify and honor you. In the wonderful name of our Messiah, we pray. Amen.